the Urban Broadcast Collective brings together the best podcasts on cities and urban life. Subscribe to us on SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts. This podcast is supported by VPLA, Victorian Planning Environmental Law Association. Welcome to the Planning Exchange, where we interview built environment professionals who are doing interesting work beyond the ordinary. I'm Jess Noonan, and I'm joined by my colleague, Peter Jewell. Today, we're speaking with Tim Ellis, an Australian author and lecturer in the world of magic and illusion. Now, you're probably thinking, what on earth does magic have to do with town planning? Well, that's not exactly what we're talking with Tim about today. We're talking with Tim about festivals and how places evolve around festivals. Think of the Port Ferry Folk Festival, Queenscliff Music Festival, Byron Bay Blues Fest, and so so forth. Tim is the artistic director and founder of the Melbourne Magic Festival and the president of the Australian Institute of Magic. Welcome to the show, Tim. Thank you. Tim, can you uh, give us a quick, uh, our listeners, a quick bio, uh, bio of, of yourself? How did you get into magic? Well, when I was age 10, my grandfather gave me a hanky-panky magic set and I learned all the tricks in the box and then I started getting magic books from the school library and eventually discovered Bernard's Magic Shop in the city, which I actually bought 20 years later. And then I joined a group called The Young Magicians, which was led by Lindsay Reichel, who was my mentor, and uh, that was part of the magic circle of Victoria. And from there, we set out presenting our own group shows, just the teenage magicians, uh, in auditoriums all over Melbourne. Then after I left school, I was apprenticed to another magician called Terry Danzig, and we performed shows in schools all throughout the Northern Territory, far north Queensland, the top of WA, and in many remote Aboriginal communities. And during that time, I started creating my own magic. And then in 1991, I traveled to Lausanne, Switzerland, where I got my first award at the FISM World Championships of Magic. From there, I just got offers to perform all over the world and haven't stopped. Sounds incredible. And and, and Tim, your involvement with actual magic festivals goes, starts back in, I think, 1986. Oh, yes, it does. Yes. Uh, At the time, I was doing a 45-minute show for schools called Magic Unlimited, where I played uh, several different characters. And a few different friends had uh, their own school shows as well. So I thought it'd be a great idea to create a day where people could come and see each show one after the other in the same venue. So the Caulfield Arts Centre was keen to partner with us and Merlin's Restaurant, where we a lot of us worked. It was a magic themed restaurant. They came along with snacks and wine tastings. And some other magicians joined in to do strolling performances in between the main shows. And the day was packed out. Thousands of families turned up. So I decided to create a bigger event that year and staged it uh, during Halloween, which is the anniversary of the death of Harry Houdini. And that was called Magic Week. And it featured a massive show at the Palais Theatre, a magician's convention, performances of all type all over Melbourne, and even a reenactment of Houdini's 1910 escape in the Yarra River. So I'd hired a publicist so everyone would know about the festival. And I think I lost about ten thousand dollars in the end. So how back, old were you, Tim? Back to bigger, better the next year. <laughs> yeah. No. And how old were you? And uh, sorry, I shouldn't. But, I was, uh, was twenty three. That's very gutsy, Tim. Very well, gutsy. I've always thought if 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 say if you want to have something happening, no one else is doing it. You've just got to do it. Otherwise, you can't play. And are there really substantial um, magic festivals internationally? that sort of inspired you as well? Well, (laughs) it's interesting because 
we sort of inspired the other magic festivals to an extent. There have been a lot of festivals going on in Spain and some parts of Europe in Spain. Almost every town and city has an annual magic festival and there's a place called, uh, I don't know if I'm going to pronounce this right, Magialdia, which has been running for over 30 years in a place called Vittorio Gastiz. And so they've been running, but we started our festival, the, uh, the not, not Magic Week, but the Magic Festival, which we started um, 2008, I think it was. Uh, and then shortly after that, the Edinburgh Magic Festival was launched. And that's now an annual week-long event. And then 2011, uh, Quebec Magic Festival was formed and they just recently hosted the uh, World Championships of Magic as part of a combined effort. And in 2014 in Sweden, they created a Magic and Comedy Festival. Uh, so there's a lot of one day magic festivals that also pop over pop up all over the world and quite a few magicians conventions have rebranded themselves as festivals but that's most likely to qualify for government support <laughs> now listeners I, I should declare an interest i volunteered at the last <laughs> melbourne magic festival for a couple of nights and i've um i adore magic i've been to a number of magic festivals melbourne magic festivals but tim why is it important to have a festival of magicians is it for the magicians or is it for the fans so a tough question well it's for both really for the magicians it's a chance to create the art that we don't get to do at corporate events or private parties so they're the shows that pay the bill and at those events we have to do material that's 100 percent guaranteed to work but the festival we can create our dream shows and i was a bit selfish when i started the festival because i was a, i was sort of going oh, i really want to make up new shows because i love the process of creating new shows so i would actually create two to three new one hour shows every year for the festival uh but then i sort of ended up being pushed into the administrative side of it more and i didn't get to do as many shows as i would like to and also i'm doing the laneway theater which is a theater in my house and i'm doing brand new shows there every year as well so I still get to create, which is fantastic. Now for the public, the festival has a chance to see that magic's not simply the man in the top hat or the street magician with the over-the-top reactions, but it's uh, as multifaceted as the music industry. People might bring their kids to see a show that's been created for the young ones and then return at night to see a sleight-of-hand show or a mind-reading show or a comedy show or a grand illusion show. And the common response we get is that all people say that they really didn't know there was so much variety in the way magic could be performed. So that's why they come back year after year eager to see the next genre-bending show. And out of interest, how many people would you normally get through um, the Melbourne Magic, magic, uh, magic, the Melbourne magic Festival? Well, we started off uh, with just a very small group of uh, performers. We only had about... 10 shows in the very first festival that we ran and we got about 3,000 people coming along to it and then in our uh, future festivals that we did some of the the bigger ones uh, 2019 was our last full festival we had uh, over 17,000 come along to it which was amazing Tim it's the biggest magic festival in the southern hemisphere can you just tell us a bit about the number of shows the different venues it's geographically you've spread it out not just in the for our listeners outside of australia it, it it's based in melbourne the capital of the state of victoria but you've also got it in other locations and you've got many more shows that's right yeah that will 
we've started because because of the the new venue that we're at we're at arrow on swanston which is the magic festival is finally in the city itself so i, I quite like the idea the melbourne magic festival is actually in melbourne now because we we began at the northgate town hall and uh it was actually 2000 and 2008 when we started and i approached the the northgate town hall because they were trying to establish themselves as an art center at the time and i suggested we stage some shows for the comedy festival and they went very well so i recommended them we try a magic festival and we ran it from September 22 to October 4. And we had just 10 different shows and 3,000 people turned up. And we did it again in 2009. Um, but we decided to stage it in winter because there's pretty much nothing else to do in Melbourne in winter at the time. And things change, you know, other things pop up now. But it, was, it continued to grow. And uh, in 2020, um, we had some online events. And then in 2021 and 2022, instead of two weeks in the hub, with satellite venues we had the first week with just satellite shows and the second week in the hub and uh, so yeah even last year we oh this year we got 14,560 attendees and a lot of them were at the hub events and uh, places so, like Frankston Art Centre and uh, Karolika Centre Horsham Town Hall is that the satellite venues you mentioned is it Tim yeah yeah uh, you know, the, the whole first week was we had um, obviously the Laneway Theatre. We had shows here. We had shows at the Butterfly Club, uh, Magic School of Confidence. There were about 20 different venues in the first week that had magic and they were all around the state, which was fantastic. And then in the second week, it was mainly concentrated just in the Arrow where we'd established four separate theatres, each one catering to a different style of magic. And uh, we had, <laughs> I think about seven or eight different shows in each theater each day so it was just very very busy <laughs> now tim uh festivals don't just happen and people probably don't appreciate how much work and effort goes into planning a festival um how long would you say it normally takes to prepare for the next festival well i started preparing for next year's festival two years ago i thought that might be the answer <laughs> <laughs> And, and and Tim, basic, you know, festivals are you know logistically a big exercise, and and you're dealing with people as well. Um, what have you learned since you put on the first one back in 2014 that you, that you ran? Well, some of the things you've learned. Sorry. Mm, well, get venue agreements in writing. It's a good start. <laughs> yeah, I'm a very trusting person. <laughs> I'm, I'm very much of the old generation of your word is your bond. Uh, but we found uh, with certain venues, um, it wasn't quite the same. Uh, also, our audiences are not big drinkers compared to comedy festival or fringe festivals. And that can uh, can upset some venues that rely on alcohol sales. Uh, but we also, the main thing I've learned is that we've got a fantastic community of magicians here in Melbourne who are more than willing to help out when it comes to bump ins and bump outs and, and general support. And they know this event is run by volunteers and magic fans. And when everyone kicks in, we can do amazing things without having to plead for government support. And you often do surveys um, of attendees to find out what people think and what people might like to see in future festivals. Well, last night we actually did a post-mortem with our producers, uh, asking them what, what worked for them, what didn't work and all that sort of stuff and got a lot of really good feedback that we've already uh, initiated. But uh, as far as surveys go, yeah, we have done surveys and I'm, I'm not really a, a big survey guy because uh, I, I always... <laughs> I know the goal is to get more people coming, 
Um, and that's it. And regardless of the survey results, I just try to get more people coming. But we had um, the results with our, our surveys. We found out that the majority of people came from completely different postcodes. You know, they, they traveled, 15% traveled from public transport, 18% visitors came from Northcote, with guests coming from 76 different postcodes, six regional Victorian areas, and eight New South Wales postcodes, three from Queensland, two from WA, one from South Australia, one from ACT, and several from internationally. Uh, and the age, amazing. the age was like 34% were under 18, with 20% of those under 12, but surprisingly, 57% were aged 18 to 60, with the majority, 30%, aged between 36 and 45. Oh, wow. And 60% of our guests were female, with 55% being tertiary educated, and 45% came from professional jobs, while 11% were self-employed. And then 93% brought at least one person with them, and 65% were first-time attendees, and 60% planned to attend other MMF shows. So... It sort of really is just, I mean, it, it, it's its not like uh, a, a festival where you say, you know, oh, we're going to target this particular niche audience because everybody loves magic. And if we were to just say, let's just focus on the kids, we'd be missing out on a huge market. We have to really focus on everybody when we do our marketing, which makes it very hard. And I guess that that is part of the magic of magic is that it does appeal to a very universal audience, like you say. It, it does. And people come along and they're thinking, oh, you know, someone's dragged me along and they come back going, what else can I see? I just want to see more because they are so surprised every time they come along. I mean, the only negative comment we've ever had with the festival is people saying, I didn't know it was on. I missed out, you know, I didn't, I didn't realize this thing was going on. It's been running for 15 years and we do as much publicity as we can. And apparently publicists who've looked at what we've done have said we've generated millions of dollars publicity, but you know, it's still, we still have people who have never heard of the Melbourne Magic Festival. But let's, let's spread the word, Jess. Yeah. Well, Pete's <laughs> you, you have to come, job. Jess, you have I'll to come along next year. Next you will year. be a, magic tragic like i am but sorry so your <laughs> question Jess. just sorry. don't volunteer me for, for any no you, you're 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 up on the stage Jess, so. <laughs> <laughs> so over to you jess sorry i was just going to ask and obviously in the introduction i alluded to this but there are a lot of places that um evolve around festivals they become very well known um little places because of a festival um as a result infrastructure and things are all built around these um these very exciting festivals that occur do you see at some point the melbourne magic festival becoming big enough that um you know specific venues are being built in melbourne to cater for the needs of your festival we do have specific buildings uh, that have been built to cater for the festival <laughs> um, oh, amazing the laneway theater which is one of them and that has been a purpose-built uh close-up magic theater uh, so that is a 32-seat venue that's got cinema seats all tiered. So everyone gets a perfect view. It's got a big 4K screen, projection screen, so that anything that's done close up on the table can be projected and everyone can see it. And it's uh, a very unique venue and that operates all year round. That's and which laneway in Melbourne is that in? Oh, it's, it's a secret venue. Oh, you only find venue. out when you buy a ticket, yes. Okay. It's actually based in Northcote. So, yeah, you, you oh. buy, buy a ticket for the show and then you get a map. 
and uh, we always have trouble changing Google Maps all the time. So <laughs> Carl puts it on Google Maps and we just change it and they're like, I can't find it. I go, are you following our map? No, I'm looking up on Google. <laughs> well, you should have followed our map because... <laughs> I love that. That's actually a really good idea. <laughs> Something yeah. that Google doesn't know. Yeah, well, half, half the time people say, you know, they've got their money's worth by just arriving at the Laneway Theatre because of the whole experience they have <laughs> finding the secret venue. So, I mean, the Laneway Theatre happens all year round and during the festival we put on special shows and there's always a bunfire of people saying, I want to do my show at the Laneway Theatre it is the perfect venue to do magic. But, you know, with Arrow, uh, we chose that venue uh, for two reasons. Uh, the second reason was the fact that we were able to create spaces within the venue. So there's a 260-seat theatre called the Houdini Theatre, which is a flat seating with a raised stage with curtains, and it's a great little theatre uh, for, uh, you know, grand illusion shows and traditional magic shows. And if you want to do a bit more spectacular, you can do that there. We have a Cardini Cabaret, which is uh, a, an 80-seat venue with a raised stage and flat seating. Then we have the Slidini showroom, which is more a parlour room. So a parlour room is where the magician will stand and just perform small tricks to a group of 40 people who are seated. And then we have a close-up theatre, which has got uh, about 30 or 40 tiered seats, and they're gathered around a table. And we're actually going to bring out a fifth venue, which is, will be... Uh, we have a venue called Magic Central, which is our foyer. And in Magic Central, there's a jamming area, which is a big poker table where magicians will sit around and do shows or do card tricks and practice things with each other during the festival. Uh, but we're going to make that a late night close-up venue for just 10 people. So people can book a ticket to get to sit at the table and watch the magician performing. So we're always, uh, you know, coming up with new ways we can perform and new uh, facilities that will enhance the magic. I mean, the only problem we have is that, you know, Arrow is a conference centre and it's not, you know, you're not going into Hogwarts or anything like that. You you are walking through corridors and going, oh, look, there's somebody doing the laundry in there. That's very odd. What's going on here? But That's right, you, Tim. It's, it's shared with a residential apartment is. building, isn't it? So I, I like to tell people that all these residents are magicians who have retired and they're <laughs> living, living together. And that's why some, the of, residents. Them quite, some of them are quite ex eccentric. <laughs> We thank Victorian Planning Reports, our very first supporter. If you want the A to Z of planning decisions in Victoria and excellent editorials, please get yourself a subscription to the VPRs. Details on our website. This podcast is supported by our wonderful friends at One Mile Grid. One Mile Grid is a boutique consulting firm which offers traffic and transport engineering, transport planning and waste management services. You can find out more by visiting their website at www.onemilegrid.com.au. Now, Tim, the other thing I was going to ask is obviously um, all of these festivals that occur, you know, particularly around Victoria and Australia, um, are generally quite reliant on funding and support from local authorities um, and, and government. What kind of support do you get and um, what more can they do? Uh, we get nothing. That, that's That's very admirable i think Tim, that you know you 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 set your own course and uh um uh you know is that, that through that... lack of trying or is that oh no 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 we have tried we have tried when we were at the northcote town hall uh darabin council would give us in-kind sponsorship they'd say things like you know we're not going to charge you for the box office staff or the people who are selling the merchant are selling the the snacks and drinks and we're like but you get the profit from all those things. Um, they said, yeah, but we're not going to charge you. I'm like, okay. 
thank you for the in-kind sponsorship. <laughs> right. uh, but, uh, you know, we, we, there's occasions where they've said, you know, you can fo- fill out this form and do the Smarty grants and all that sort of stuff. And, uh, you know, you spend weeks filling out these complicated forms and trying to get the wording right. And, and you might get three or $4,000 or something. I say, if mm. I want that, I'll just reach into my pocket and pull it out. Yeah. You know, if, if, we, if we were trying to get funding from Creative Victoria, which we've tried, um, we do have the uh, problem that there's a preconception that magic is not really an art form. And uh, we've spoken to them repeatedly about, you know, what can we do to get your support? And even though, you know, they'll support the illusionists and the big shows that come through Melbourne in some ways. But with the festival, they tend to sort of just go, yeah, well, it's not really, you know, cutting edge entertainment that we're trying to do. You know, we're not trying to, we're not breaking any ground. And it's hard because I think they see magic as having a mass appeal. And as a consequence, they think, you know, it's inconsequential. They think it's not important. It's not not art. But we've had some amazing performers. Uh, we've got one uh, who's one of my favourites, Dane Certificate, who is the closest you can ever get to an abstract live performer his magic doesn't necessarily make sense but you sit there instead of going how is he doing that you're going why is he doing that and half the audience loves him and leaves love notes on his car windscreen wiper out the front and the other half comes away going i want my money back i didn't understand that at all and for me i'm like that's what we want in the magic industry we want shows like that shows that are going to push the boundaries and still entertain and still be amazing but have people just questioning what they what they just saw and yet you know the the arts bodies and the funding bodies just they just imagine you know it's a kid's show man with top hat pulling rabbits out something like that well well, tim you know some of the one of the shows i saw this year was the uh the english fellow from i think he was london and his Mm, narrative yeah jack Jack is fantastic, and uh, he actually remembered my name, which is good. <laughs> I thought I'd, you know, been with David Bowie or something. He was just so good, and his performance. I'm sorry, listeners, for being so indulgent, but <laughs> he, he had a real narrative about his life, hmm. and and he inter, you know, in between the, that narrative, he would do various. Um, uh, I won't call them tricks, but he would do magic to emphasize the different points so yeah. i mean i i thought that was tremendous art but um festivals and places tim i mean um there's lots of festivals in in cities what do they do do you think for citizens and places big question sorry but you're you i'm sure you're capable <laughs> well that's the that's the interesting part I see, for example, in Northcote, when we were there, we were there for about nine years, and I saw Northcote come alive during the festival. I saw High Street just blossom. You know, um, you've seen it happen when they have the High Street vibes with the music festivals there. Everyone comes out, they all just enjoy themselves, have a good time together. That happened during the Magic Festival. There were traders putting up magic displays in their front windows. There were special offers to entice people. You'd walk past a cafe and hear people excitedly describing the things they just saw in a show and couldn't believe, and others who were excited because they were going to go and see their very first magic show. And there's this whole sense of, you know, there's this really special thing happening at Northcote and it was like you know real life journeys to Hogwarts to experience magic for the first time and we have the same sort of thing happening in Arrow 
you know, people, if, you, if you're sort of standing out there, it looks like boring old Melbourne with just the streets. But then you see little groups of people coming and they're just giggling excitedly as they come up the street and they're like, oh, this is the place we found it. Let's go, let's go. And they come down the stairs and the excitement just builds. And there's just this wonderful sense that, you know, we're in this together. We're experiencing this very special thing that's unique to Melbourne. And we would love to, for example, have the city of Melbourne partner with us, not spending any money, but just promoting it, just letting people know it's on because I'm not sure they can claim it. They can claim they're presenting it. We don't care. You know, they, they, they have this wonderful opportunity of bringing thousands of people into the city without them having to spend any money at all. They just have to use their networks to, uh, to let us know, let people know that the festival's on. But uh, we, we spoke to them and they gave us the runaround and said, you'll have to talk to this department. Oh, why are you talking to us? You need to talk to that department. Oh, you need to talk to that department. And then uh, in the end, they just said, you can apply for a grant, but it's unlikely you'll get it. What uh, a pity, Tim. Before, yeah, so I'll just jump in there, Jess. But I mean, listeners, what I sensed was a sense of rapture uh, throughout the festival. And there's also a really close intimacy, Tim, between the performers, even in the biggest of stages. Um, the magicians have a way of just reaching out to each individual mm. and keeping them, uh, sorry, the, excuse the pun, but spellbound. And it, mm. it's, it's different to many other festivals. Do you think I'm um, too glowing, Tim? Look, it, it's absolutely community. You know, it's it's a it's a unique community. I mean, comedians have a community, uh, and comedy fans, and but there's always a bit of you know, uh, I don't. There's a different sort of an atmosphere, a different sort of a vibe. But with magic, uh, people are just coming along, and they're being amazed and they're being transported. They're they're having the harsh realities of life stripped back, and just revealing, peeling back that childlike wonder that they had within them until they got a job you know? <laughs> and they're coming back and finding this person inside them. And they're, they're often so thankful to the magician for bringing back those sensations. You know, it, it's, it's just amazing. I mean, I, every year I, I, I sit back and I go, oh, this is just too hard running a whole festival pretty much by myself. And then I get emails from people asking when the next MMF is, telling me how much they look forward to it every year. Because for them, the festival begins when they make their journey to the venue and it continues for weeks and months afterwards when they're reliving the magic in their mind. Thanks for the support from Ratio Consultants, an independent voice and trusted partner in planning, urban design, transport and waste management. Ratio supports change through projects that shape cities, neighbourhoods and places for people. See ratio.com.au for details. Now, Tim, just going away from um, <clears throat> from the festival itself, can you tell us a little bit more about the Australian Institute of Magic? Yeah, well, the Australian Institute of Magic was performed as or was formed as a group of working magicians. So they're generally a magic club is uh, an association of hobbyist magicians who just love the hobby of magic and they like to get together and they might perform the latest trick they've bought or have a competition or just have someone come and lecture and talk about things. But we do um, uh, jam sessions. So we get together every, every month and we do a brainstorm session where you bring in what you're working on, what stumped you, and we put our heads together and try and solve the problems for you. And uh, that is the first part of the evening. The second part of the evening is an audience will come in, they sit down and we'll perform what we've been working on for the audience. And they then get to assess each trick 
by writing anonymous feedback after every piece. And that feedback is given to the performers. And we also have a, a theatre director who comes in, a different theatre director every month, and, and they give us notes after the show as well. But these notes that the audience get, you know, if you watch a magic show and even if the performer's not very good, they'll say, oh, what do you think? And usually, oh, you know, it was good. I liked it. Yeah, you fooled me. But if you get the honest opinion from a brand new piece you're working on, it could be like, I think it was Zappy's sleeve or I saw something going on or I didn't follow the trick. I couldn't understand what was happening. And that's the feedback that we need. And so we're very proactive in supporting each other and also allowing the audience the empowerment of helping us to become better magicians. And I think based on the, the ticket sales for these nights that we have, um, there's a lot of people who are very keen to, to be a part of it and they feel connected to the magicians in that way. Tim, it sounds an incredibly healthy ecosystem you've got uh, going with uh, magicians. Um, now, a, a, a tough one. Any advice you can give to someone who wants to start a festival? Any <laughs> um, a, a question without notice? But what sort of what sort of things would you? You know, some of our listeners might be out there saying, you know, I want to start a festival of you know pottery or something. Yeah, or I want yeah. to start. What, what in you've got great experience. You've lived it. You live it. You work hard. Uh, any sort of suggestions on and how you build an idea and get it going? Okay, full disclosure, I feel like a complete fake as far as being a festival organiser because <laughs> I have no idea what I'm doing and somehow well, we're just do we just doing it? I don't know well, how. Well, Jess and I feel the same way, Tim. So we're all <laughs> we're all together on that. But uh, I, I've I've sat down with other festival organisers from time to time and they've looked at my budget and gone, okay, this should not work. This, I don't know how this is working. I'm like, can you give me some help or advice? They're like, I don't know what you're doing, but whatever it is, just keep doing it. Uh, I've, 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 I've often sat down and said, how would I start the Magic Festival today? And I really don't think I could. I think it was a, question, a collection of happenstance and being in the right place at the right time. Because you know, when we looked at other venues, when we were still at Northcote and we are looking at other venues, see if there's something that would work better for us. Um, we looked at Hawthorne Town Hall and Frankston Arts Centre, all these different places, lots and lots of you know great venues, but they were all wanting like a hundred grand for just two weeks. And I'd sit down and do the figures and go, well, we can't do that. It's not financially viable. And so I was tending to sort of go, well, this is what we've got to spend um, based on how we how we want to run the festival. Uh, just to give you an indication, uh, my philosophy with this festival is. I want when we like like comedy festival and other festivals we rent out the rooms to the performers the producers and I want to make sure that the rental fee that I'm charging them can be covered in the sales of 10 tickets so that way if a performer is doing a room with 80 people and they only sell 10 tickets at least they're going to cover their costs now that's not necessarily a great business model for a festival to run on but the problem is I'm an artist running a festival. So I want the artists to come along and enjoy and to learn how to produce their own shows. Because the festivals began during the global financial crisis when a lot of performers had no work. And I thought if we put this festival together, this can actually teach them how to produce their own shows in a very safe environment. Uh, and so that, that basis for me from a financial point of view, is, is the key to it is to sit down and look at it and say, well, how much income can the festival generate for the festival uh, while still allowing the producers and the performers to 
flourish financially if they put the work in. Uh, and, you know, no, nobody makes a loss because that's the worst thing for me as a performer, having other performers going like, I can't pay the bills because I didn't make any money. And even though it might be my own fault, I, I feel bad about it personally. So uh, I've put this ridiculous budget together. And my goal as a festival organiser is to find partners who are willing to go along with this budget. And uh, thankfully, you know, Arrow came to the party and, and they loved having us there and we love working with them. It's just such a weird, unusual venue. It's like a secret venue. Uh, people just don't know it's there until they walk in and they're like, what is this place? And, and it's a rabbit warrant too, Jess. So <laughs> um, I think Tim mentioned the four different um, stage areas, but to some of, to get to some of them, you have to walk down corridors and around the corner. And I mean, you really need to lead the punters there, don't you, Tim? But it's they're all, that, uh, as you say, they're all very different spaces and allow yeah. different, uh, as you said. Well, previously, we were, before this Arrow venue, we were at Melbourne Spiegel Tent with Circus Oz. And, okay, the, the Spiegel Tent is a lovely venue, beautiful venue. It doesn't work for all magic, but it's very nice. Um, their foyer, their Magic Central, was outside, which was not great because they said, oh, we'll have a heated tent, but it ended up being a very small, like, Bunnings marquee, <laughs> and it wasn't very warm. Uh, and, and then the other rooms they had were just, you know, we, we sort of cobbled it together and got it working. Um, previous to that, we were at the Northgate Town Hall, which was really nice and worked really well for us because we had that massive central hall. The main hall was our foyer. And that was a really nice hub, and we had three different spaces off that. But realistically, we've we've definitely outgrown that because the biggest theatre there was a hundred seats. And for listeners outside Australia, the Melbourne Magic Festival is in the middle of winter, isn't it? Tim? It so, is. <laughs> so it's cold and gloomy. The days are short, so everyone's looking for a bit of joy. Sorry, Jess, I cut cut you off there. <laughs> no, I was just going to say it sounds like you need to rebrand. Um, the festival to not not refer to a festival it's a bit like having a wedding you never say something's for a wedding you always say it's for a party (laughs) (laughs) to keep the keep costs down (laughs) i i venue hire as as a performer because i've been a performer and a producer i've I've run various magic conventions and and big events uh, all throughout melbourne venue hire is the one thing i cannot get my head around uh, the cost that some venues charge and uh, some other producers have said look the only way a lot of events get put on is the the venues basically say we'll partner with you and, and split the costs um, because uh, you know if, if you're looking to to hire a venue uh, I think I think one of the challenges is some of the venues especially the theatres they get um, like uh, dance groups dance classes coming in and these dance classes will run four or five recitals on the same day uh, and all the people who are dancing, the, the students have to bring like five parents each at X dollars they have to pay to come. So they've got a guaranteed audience. And so, you know, th- those events are automatic sellouts. And so the, the venues are quite happy to charge the money that they charge. But when you've got a performer who's just trying to put on a show and trying to get attract people to come along and see it, uh, especially if it's uh, there are no name performed, they don't have any social media, they don't they don't have a following. It's it's very very hard to to make any money or break even even with uh, most of the venues in Melbourne. They're all very expensive. Tim, outside of the festival, how can our listeners engage with magic? Well, 
easily enough, you can go to the Magic Festival website, uh, melbmagicfestival.com, and uh, we usually have listings there of other shows that are happening throughout the year. And, of course, at australianinstituteofmagic.org, we also have listings there of magic shows happening all around Australia. Uh, so there's always magic shows going on. Uh, it's very hard to keep updated with the, with the calendars. We're going through a series of, of updates on various websites at the moment. So uh, there might there might not be as many events listed as there should be at the moment because I'm also the webmaster for all these things as well. Of course you are. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, there are so many shows to see. You know, Melbourne uh, has has such a, a great collection of magicians. We had Penn and Teller here a couple of weeks ago and we took out Teller to dinner on the first night he arrived and he sent me a quote. He said, well, he actually, he actually tweeted this. He said, Melbourne is a mecca for serious magicians. Tim Ellis introduced me to about a dozen of the most creative conjurers I've ever met in one place. In two <laughs> weeks, they're holding the Melbourne Magic Festival. Wish I could be here to see it. What, what, what a great dinner that would have been, Jess. Now, <clears throat> I, I suppose, Tim, likewise in other countries and other cities that because uh, this podcast goes out everywhere, that they should just search magic locally or something like that to, to, to go along and they'll be welcome at the magic show, no doubt. Uh, well, I can't speak for every other country, but uh, we do our best to welcome everybody. <laughs> no. We have we have so many things happening uh, all throughout the year. And we're um, one of the things we're doing at the moment is working on a partnership with Impro Melbourne because I don't know whether you saw Magic Sports. Magic Sports no. was our late night show. Uh, it's improvised magic. So it's theatre sports combined with magic, like whose line is it anyway for magicians? And it is hilarious. And last year we actually had Impro Melbourne competing so they were playing theater sports and we were playing magic sports and competing against each other and uh, at the moment we've just started a, uh, a partnership we're going to jam together throughout the year so there'll be various magic sports shows people can come along to see throughout the year which will be fantastic we've, we've been trying to get that together for a long time so it's not just straight magic shows it's not just kids magic shows you know but all types of magic shows here happening well, in melbourne Tim, I've just actually looked at your website and I'm very impressed to see, and I might even buy a ticket, the um, Celtic Illusion. Yeah, Celtic Illusion is touring all around the place. Um, Irish Dance and Grand Illusion. Yeah, I well, love they, that. They were, they were our satellite events uh, this year at the festival. I'm not sure where they are right now, but uh, he was doing a series uh, season in New York as well, off-Broadway. Uh, so he's he's a, a, one of our great success stories. It's I'm a big odd, Irish dance fan. Well, it's, a, so. it's an odd combination, really? isn't it? It's well, no. Uh, but he does a great show, and he's he's one of these people who goes out and produces the show by himself and takes it all around Australia. And he's just done a Canadian tour as soon as COVID was, was a little bit lax. He just headed straight off to Canada and did a tour there with big arenas. So he's, he's, you know, Anthony Street is a person you've probably never heard of before. But, uh, you know, even just in May, they did two sold out shows at the Art Centre. Uh, so that's, a you know, a, another type of magic that you wouldn't expect to, to exist here in Melbourne. Well, I think Irish dancing is magic in itself. So <laughs> big fan over here. Something for everyone, isn't there? Something Definitely. For there is. Definitely. Sorry, over to you, Pete. Now, now Tim, uh, we're coming to the end, sadly, of, of our little show. Uh, how do you refresh and relax uh, when you're not so damn busy doing 
all these festivals and associations. All the organising. <laughs> oh, I go out to the movies. I play poker. <laughs> it's hard. Look, aren't you banned? It's hard when I'm playing poker because if I win, they say I was a magician and I cheated. And if I lose, they say I'm a bad magician. <laughs> Uh, and also uh, I have two rainbow lorikeets who live with me and they take up a lot of time. They're very social birds, uh, so they're not part of the show. They're just uh, they're my companion animals, I suppose. They just, they just love to uh, hang around and annoy me and play games and chew things up. Uh, they're very entertaining. Uh, and at the moment, for the last year, I've been working with Melbourne Im Impro learning uh, theatre improvisation uh, just to uh, help, help keep up my skills. So, what, what, what is that, Tim? What what a theatre improvisation? Yeah, yeah. Sorry, it's, it's basically uh, for me the challenge is because with magic, your head is always five steps, you know, beyond what's going on right now. You're planning everything, so nothing will go wrong. But with improvisation, you have to get rid of that completely. And so for me, the challenge is to well, be able a big to challenge yeah, to just step out on stage and not know what I'm about to say and just let it happen. So it is, I'm sort of undoing a lot of work, but also trying to just add this other facet so that uh, I can improve my magic. Because one of the beautiful things that people love about magic sports is, you know, we embrace failure. Uh, we, we basically say, if it doesn't work, the audience is going to be just as entertained as if it had. You know? <laughs> Uh, so it's not it's not like we're doing brain surgery. We're trying to create illusions. We're trying to have fun. We're trying to enjoy and, and, and tell stories. And if something happens, go with it. You know, if something if if something happens in the audience, make it part of the show. You know, you, you need to relax your performance style enough so that you can be flexible. And this is one of the the beautiful things we learned during the pandemic, that the most important thing with magic is, as you said before, connection with the audience, but also authenticity. And so often magicians are seen as being, you know, the guy standing there, I have a coin and now it's disappeared, aren't I good? Uh, or trying to, you know, trying to impress people with their skills. But it's not about that. We're trying to share the wonder. We're trying to give people a gift of astonishment. We're trying to take them back to that childlike state. And you can't do that if they think you're a fake. You have to be very genuine. And so the improvisation allows you to strip back the tendency to sort of put on the magician persona and just be yourself. And I think that's one of the beautiful things that people enjoyed with Penn and Teller because Penn and Teller's show, you know, they were basically doing a magic concert. They were like, here's a trick, here's another trick, here's another trick. But because people love Penn and Teller so much, they relate to them, they connect with them, they could have sat there for another two hours just watching trick after trick and they would have been delighted. Well, well, Tim, one, and sorry to indulge listeners again about uh, the festival, but the humour there, Tim, is incredible. So not not only is there fantastic uh, magic, but the humour, they're, they're all very funny shows. It's also a natural thing with magic. You know, when you see something you don't understand but it delights you, you can't, the only reaction you can do is to laugh. You know, the, the, your, so your, your watch is in your hand and the magician says, you know, Give me a time. You say three thirty, and you said, "Look at your watch." And you look at your watch, and it's three thirty, and you're like, "What?" You know, there's a natural reaction to just laugh. Uh, I do a show here every Saturday night called the Magic Menu Live, and the show is a storytelling show. It's a combination of some of my Zoom shows, some of the things we did during the Zoom shows, and also uh, it's based on the movie My Dinner with Andre. 
And it's also based on my life as a performer at Merlin's Restaurant back in the 80s. And the audience gets to choose what happens during the show. But still, it's astonishing. You know, the magic happens right in front of their eyes. And the finale, which I won't tip, but the finale is so strong, I tend to watch it while I'm performing it. I have an out-of-body experience. I, I step back and watch it. And I get the same sense of astonishment that the audience does when it happens. It's so delightful. When, well, well, when I, you... think it's, I think it's pure art what happens, oh, regardless so... of what others think, Tim. Now, we've come to, uh, sadly, we've come to Podcast Extra or Culture <laughs> Corner. Um, we, could, we could talk all night, couldn't we, Jess? But um, something, Tim, you've read, seen, watched, listened to, experienced lately that might be of interest to our listeners. Okay, well, obviously these are going to be magic-related. If you've got Netflix, have a look at all of Darren Brown's specials. If you're not familiar with Darren Brown, he's an English magician, mentalist, mind reader. Who knows? He's combined so many genres that he's created his own unique style of magic that is so, so strong that other magicians just watch it and go, I have no idea how he's doing that. Uh, and he, he cushions every show that he does, every every show that he does with different uh, messages. So he's got TV shows where he transforms people in real life and they're almost bizarre documentaries. And then his stage shows, again, are completely different again because they're, they're performances in front of a live audience. Darren Brown, I, I, I want to tell you so much about him, but I, I don't want to spoil it for you. I want you to just watch his shows and you will discover something you've never seen before. The other one I'd recommend is on Disney+. Plus. It's called In and of Itself. Now, this is considered generally to be the best magic show ever created. It's definitely the most artistic. It was directed by Frank Oz and produced by Neil Patrick Harris. And the performer uh, is, is Derek Delgadio, and he is so engaging in his storytelling uh it's all about how people view themselves and how the perception that you have of yourself determines so much about your life and there are so many interesting things that happen throughout the show and so many threads that get tied up at the end of the show and then again there is a finale that you'll just your jaw will just drop throughout it it's a show that's full of magic and awe and wonder, but also emotions. And at points, people are just so overwhelmed, they cry. And you don't really get that in many one-man shows. No. Wow. Now, Jess, I'm not going next after that. You, you can go next, <laughs> Jess. What's, what, what's your podcast extra, Jess, for our listeners? Well, it's not magic-related, but um, mine is actually using your local historical society um, for research. So we've actually just recently um, got a whole lot of information from our local historical society about our house. And we were trying to understand when it was built and um, turns out it was built in 1886, which is incredibly old. And um, they've given us the entire history, ownership history, um, all the original titles, which I know you could get anyway, but um, a huge amount of information and an amazing resource, all volunteer run as well. So I would highly recommend to so, anyone. So just how, how did you just break down the steps? What did you do actually? 
we just simply emailed them and asked them what we were after and um, they've come back to us really quickly with all this amazing information, um, so aerial your, photos and that, original photos of the house. That, and That's your local suburb has got a historical yeah, society? correct. Yeah, so wonderful resource. And, I mean, obviously a lot of suburbs and areas in Melbourne um, have these historical societies. Um, but we don't often think about them as a as a resource or you know a place to actually go to 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 gain this sort of information. So highly highly recommend. How about you, Pete? Well, two quick things, Jess. I've just I'm just having an article published in uh, the Belcord magazine, which is the uh, magazine of the Melbourne Tram Museum. Jess, we always <laughs> talk about trams and how we should have Tim. We think we should have a, in Melbourne a tram day. <laughs> yes. So, um, but uh, I've been researching. We, my great we won't call it a festival of the trams. Or, or just well, we, one of the very first things we did in Magic Week was doing magic on the trams. Oh, there you go. Yeah. For, for our listeners outside Melbourne, uh, Melbourne has the biggest tram network in the world, I think. So it's a big part of uh, our city. And, but uh, my, my great grandfather was uh, associated with the tramways and on the union for. 24 years as secretary so uh i'm researching him and because of that we discovered the tramway union banner of 1916 so i wrote an article about the creation of that banner and what it meant and museums vic might do an exhibition next year about it jess but um the other thing i've been getting i know I'm, i'm a published i'm a published author now jess but um the other thing is I've been getting my hands dirty, Tim. I've put in a couple of big veggie beds in the front garden. So I've been shoveling lots of mushroom compost. And tomorrow I'll plant uh, my first plants, asparagus and potatoes. So listeners, get your hands dirty, get some herbs, get some veggies, whatever. Um, but that's all I've got to add, Tim. Anything you want to add, add in into that, Tim? Well, it's interesting because you mentioned about the trams because we've, we've always been... Uh, I mean, I live on the tram line here and we had at one stage Yarra trams for about, uh, I think, two or three years allowed us to put some marketing material on their trams, which was fantastic. And we did, uh, I mean, this is after Magic Week because Magic Week we actually had magicians performing on the trams, but we did a competition where we asked people to go on the tram and film themselves performing a magic trick. And it was such, such a great response from all these amazing people just jumping on a tram doing magic tricks on the tram and filming it and sending it in. It was just wonderful. There's, we have a, a, a wonderful connection with the trams. And we also used to take our special guests out always to the uh, Colonial Tram Car Restaurant, which has sadly disappeared. Yeah, I, I, I went on that, Tim. I remember getting on, but I don't remember getting off. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, Tim, you've, you've been a, a marvellous guest. Jess, you're going to volunteer next year at the Melbourne Magic Festival. I know it. Oh, come to the Laneway Theatre. It's quicker. All right, Jess, you do I'll that. be there, definitely. All right. Tim, you've been a marvellous uh, guest and I hope you're heading up many, 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 many years of magic festivals. Um, it's a joy for everyone who gets in close contact with it. Wonderful. So thanks so much for being a guest and uh, thanks, Jess, as always. Thank you. And thanks, Tim. Thanks. Thanks for listening. If you would like to hear more of our podcast, hit the follow button on Spotify or the like button on SoundCloud or the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts. Please also visit our Instagram page, LinkedIn or website for behind the scenes footage of our podcasts. 
and to get the latest on upcoming or recently released episodes. If you have any suggestions or feedback, please get in touch via our social media channels or by emailing planningexchange at gmail.com. A special shout out also to Jack Babbage, who does such an incredible job in producing this podcast.